From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Welcome back to Political Theater. It is a recess week and Congress is away from Washington, so we thought it would perhaps be appropriate to consider members or former members, people who are no longer in Congress. They do tend to hang out and form a sort of an informal fraternity of people who have shared experiences. Niels Lesniewski, our senior uh, congressional reporter, he went to a dinner recently that was uh, uh, consisted of former members of Congress, and they have plenty on their mind, don't they, Niels? Oh, they do. In fact, there's an association of former members of Congress which had their big annual uh, awards dinner just last week, and they were sort of talking about the bygone era of bipartisanship and why things couldn't be the way that they were uh, when they were still around. Uh, And they awarded uh, some awards to current members who sort of go toward their ideal of what they think a member of Congress should be. uh, And not coincidentally, more than just one of them is a member of the Appropriations Committee. Ah, there's, there, there are three political parties, right? Democrats, Republicans, and Appropriators. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you were looking around the room, you saw a lot of people who were now in the government relations profession, which is to say that many of them are registered lobbyists. Some of them are technically not lobbyists, but uh, I'm they, not they, sure. They're, they're could... consulting on things like communications and strategy. That's right, and, and legal guidance. Uh, and so when that happened, and frankly, a lot of the people who would have probably been there from out of town could not make it in uh, because this dinner, which took place at the Mellon Auditorium in Washington, D.C., was the evening of the snowstorm uh, mm-hmm. that rolled through. And so there were a lot of uh, former members who, who are not of the, the government relations persuasion who... I just simply couldn't make it into town. So, yeah, the, the cliche or the, um, you know, the kind of the old saw is that members of Congress never really leave Congress because they just go and they work for some lobbying firm or something like that. But there actually are people who leave town and, you know, I don't know, go fishing or whatever. They, they move back to wherever they're from. Uh, and and but, but for the most part, we were dealing with a lot of people who could make it in town because there were quite a few flights canceled. So, so let's talk about some of those people before we get to who they who they looked upon as their, you know, sort of ideals of, of people who, you know, espouse bipartisanship and then practice it. Who were some of the former members that you got to talk to at this dinner? Well, I was uh, uh, sitting with uh, Jim Colby from Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, who... Uh, of course, he said he left the he left the house basically just as I was arriving in Washington in in two thousand and seven, uh, and and we talked for a while. And he's he's keeping himself busy largely here in the D.C. area. Uh, and he mentioned among other ventures uh, that he is uh, John McCain's appointee to the board of the the International Republican Institute. The uh, mm-hmm the Republican uh, foreign policy think tank mm-hmm. and uh, organization that, that does a lot of overseas work. 
And some of these members, I mean, like the, they're, I mean, they're people that we have run into around town too. Like Colby is not the, you know, he, he's, he's around, but he's not like at every kind of reception or party or thing, something. And I noticed that one of the people that you ran into was Tom Davis. Uh, so Davis is one of those guys who is in the government relations profession. And I remember running into him. Uh, a few months ago and asking him how things were going. And he's like, it's, it's not bad. It's kind of like being in Congress, except I have time to walk my dog. Uh, right. <laughs> how, how is, uh, how is former Congressman Davis? These well, days? well, well, I didn't get a chance to talk to Congressman Davis all that much. Uh, he spent most of the time that I was uh, sort of around him uh, talking to Charlie Dent, the mm-hmm. current uh, member, one of the current members of Congress who was an honoree, but who is soon to be a former member of Congress. And, uh, as a longtime Republican member of the House Appropriations Committee, uh, probably will have no shortage of employment offers uh, in in the government relations space if he chooses to go that route. Of course, uh, Mr. Dent very well could also go the the talking head on cable news uh, route, uh, as was mentioned at some point during the evening. He does seem to be uh, in in demand for his take on things because he one he's good with. The press. Uh, I mean, he, he knows how to make his points succinctly, whether it's on television or for print or for, you know, what have you. And uh, and he, he also seems to get along with just about everybody. It's hard to find somebody who doesn't like Charlie Dent on either side of the aisle. That's right. Another person who was there and there were there were sort of a host of, of former members who were around. Um, but but another one who I saw briefly was Mike Castle mm-hmm. from from Delaware, who you know, in an alternate universe, it doesn't involve <laughs> is a senator. <laughs> witches is a senator. Yeah, let's go. Let's like let's unwrap that one a little bit because it's just so good. <laughs> right. Well, so 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 former uh, Congressman Mike Castle, who was also the former Republican governor of Delaware, uh, was, of course, one of the first real victims of the sort of Tea Party movement to the right. Uh, because he was bounced out in a Republican primary for Senate. In, in 2010, right. In 2010 uh, by Christine O'Donnell, who was one of these candidates who had no shot of winning a general election uh, and is probably more than a small part of the reason why we have Senator Chris Coons. Absolutely. I mean, this was – so in backing up even further, I mean, so Castle – in Delaware, I mean, I love Delaware. I mean, it's it's got great beaches. You know, it's a fun place to visit and so forth. I have friends who live there. But it is, you know, whether you're governor or a member of the House or a senator, it's like it's like being on a city council because, I mean, it's a small enough place that you can get around. You kind of know everybody. There aren't that many people who live there. It's very close to Washington. So it gets an influx of highly educated people. Wilmington is this kind of uh, it's it's where every corporation in America it seems is seemingly incorporated so it's got no shortage of people who are you know lawyers and and banking people and so forth and castle we all thought castle was going to be the person who came and, and was going to eventually uh, like take the seat that vice president Biden had vacated when he won the vice presidency in 2008 and uh, and that you know the Democrats put up this sacrificial lamb in Chris Coons, who I think was like a county executive. <laughs> I'll have to bone up on that. And uh, was just going to take the loss against Mike Castle. And then Christine O'Donnell, who had dabbled in in witchcraft, and then but then said, "No, I am not a witch." Famously in an, in an ad, 
uh, you know, won the nomination. And then uh, and all of a sudden we have Senator Chris Coons. That's right. Uh, the other thing that I, I would say that we had uh, on this event was that there were a lot of um, sort of members who you see around the Capitol, too. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this a little bit, but. Norm but, Coleman is one of them. I see. I, th- I seem to see him all the time over on the Senate side. I, I, I didn't see Senator Coleman <laughs> on uh, last Wednesday night, but I did. Um, I did run into Blanche Lincoln, the former uh, uh-huh. senator from Arkansas, who former was former Agriculture Committee chairwoman. Was the chairwoman of the Agriculture Committee, uh, and she was uh, catching up with Mike Ross. Okay, who was another uh, Arkansas Democrat. Uh, how, another Arkansas that, that, Democrat. I didn't. I didn't misspeak. I did say Arkansas Democrat. The other thing was because of what the House was doing, there were a lot of current members of Congress who actually made it over for at least the reception, if not for the dinner itself. Now, when you say doing, it, I mean, it's a little bit of a misnomer because we were just all waiting for the release of the omnibus. So there were, there were some people who were feverishly working, appropriators and their staffs and leadership people, and then the vast majority of everybody else was sitting there waiting. <laughs> and so they had time for these receptions, correct? That, that's absolutely right. You You couldn't really go anywhere from the reception area to the area where the dinner was to the bathroom without (laughs) everyone constantly looking at their phones, asking exactly the same question, which was, when exactly is Freelinghausen going to post this bill? It was be Rodney Freelinghausen, the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee. Yes. And so there there was a lot of waiting. And in fact, at one point in time during the event, um... Mr. Dent, when he was, I believe, in the process of receiving his award. for This is the bipartisan award. Yes. Right? The, the spirit of bipartisanship award, if you will. Right. So, so, so Charlie Dent got the spirit of bipartisanship award and during his remarks said, oh, and by the way, here's the increase for the NIH. <laughs> uh, because he is the chairman of the, uh, the Labor, Health and Human Services and Education Subcommittee in the House. Uh, we even had... Sort of a panel discussion was part of the program. Instead of having all of the individual uh, members give their individual speeches, the organizers of the event, the former members of Congress, uh, Martin Frost was involved in putting together the dinner. uh, Okay. But they had a panel. On the panel were Diana DeGette, uh, a Democrat from Colorado, Fred Upton, the uh, Republican from Michigan, along with Dent. And they were asked all sorts of questions about life in Congress now versus uh, the way it was when some of the other people uh, were in the room. And maybe the funniest conversation was about, which I don't think included anyone on stage, but was about the members of Congress who sleep in their offices. Oh, do tell. Well, so Upton was talking about how he actually ran uh, his run into all sorts of mice mm-hmm. in the uh, various house office buildings and and sort of indicating that that might be somewhat of a concern and maybe related to the fact that there are uh, human residents, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and the other thing was, and, and, and Jason, you know, and you and I have both covered this in the past, they also broached the subject of whether or not members of Congress are paid enough, mm-hmm. which is it, – It is – I mean it, it's one of those things that 
if you're if you're listening to this and you live, you know, in a you know, like in my home state of of, of Arizona, you know, I mean, or 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 you know, somewhere else, you think like, well, okay, the average member of Congress makes you know up, upwards of one hundred seventy, one hundred seventy four thousand dollars. You make more if you're in leadership, and you have staff and all this kind of stuff, and you have a, a way of getting home. You know, they they'll pay for part of your you know you know ticket to go home and so forth. But when you when you really look at what is involved in being a member of Congress and you look at how expensive it is to live here and to live back in your district, it starts to see that it that actually isn't that much money. And as you say, I mean, like we've had this huge turnover in Congress. And so a lot of members, they don't if they're only going to be here for three nights a week, <laughs> then does it make sense for them to have an apartment or buy a house or something like that? I mean, it would be a different thing if this was Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, perhaps where the cost of living is lower and housing is lower, but this is one of the most expensive places in the country to live. And if you're from Wyoming or or parts of Texas or whatever, I mean, like you know, you're this is a shock when you see like how much it is to rent or buy a place. Absolutely, and they had in their their conversation one of the things that came up was the possibility of a per diem, mm-hmm. and in fact, always controversial. <laughs> yes, but in fact, the the sort of suggestion was raised that maybe the next Congress should actually move ahead uh, in that direction and, and maybe in a bid to try and get some of these people out of the uh, closets of Rayburn uh, building. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of, I mean, it, it is a little weird to think that if you're going to visit a member of Congress that you're sitting on a couch that they might have been crashing on like a few hours before. That's a little weird. I would be worried about laundry, <laughs> things like this, if I if I was sitting there. I mean, that being said, they have a gym that, where they can go shower. And I mean, these are not, it's not a hovel, uh, but it does seem a, a weird, like kind of, there's a lack of dignity or decorum. Jim Wright at one point forbid people from staying you know, overnight in, 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 the, uh, um, in, in their office buildings. And it's always this weird sort of spectacle. And we've estimated there are as many as 40 or 50 members who are sleeping in their offices. The other, the other thing that generated um, response was when the moderator asked a not uncommon question about changing the rules. Mm -hmm. And what in the ideal world would you like to see uh, instead? Mm -hmm. The most interesting of those was probably uh, the response that Dent actually had. Mm -hmm. Dent said that, uh, he had had a conversation with Tom Davis, mm-hmm. where Tom Davis had brought to his attention somehow uh, the possibility of needing 60% of the membership of the House, that is, to, so a supermajority of the House, to vote for the Speaker. Ooh, like almost turning the Senate tables on the House instead of the, the House becoming more, or the Senate becoming more like the House with lowered thresholds for filibusters and so forth. Maybe the House should take some of that that medicine. That, I mean, that must have gone over really well with the other members of the House. Then. Oh, I, I I couldn't really see Billy Long from where I was sitting. But the Billy Republican Long from was, Missouri. The Republican from Missouri who was referenced multiple times on stage. Well, I mean, the, these sort of spectacles, I mean, I, I just I find them kind of fascinating. And, and we should also note that just with a grain of salt, I mean, most of the most of the times when these people were members, they were complaining about like the, the lack of bipartisanship that was that was, you know, on display in previous years. So but I mean, thank you for giving us the breakdown on this. I mean, I find it it's it's like this just sort of strange part of the culture and. And I think that there are some lessons to learn there about bipartisanship. Thanks for, for thanks for giving us the the breakdown on it, Niels. Thank you. 
All right, Niels, thank you very much. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thanks again. 